Here's a Japanese whiskey that needs no introduction, listener. But please do allow me the privilege. It's Suntory Whiskey Toki. And while you're no doubt familiar with this product, I've got some fun facts to make us all a little bit more acquainted. Toki means time in Japanese, and that's certainly a fitting name for a whiskey. Because while everyone knows that this spirit is the product of grains, yeast, and water, we cannot ignore maturation time, the all-important fourth final ingredient. Another neat fact for you, Toki was developed specifically for mixing cocktails, which makes it perfect for everything we discuss on this show. A harmonious and silky blended whiskey, Toki brings subtle spice and sweetness to your cocktails. Once again, for you all in the back, that name is Suntory Whiskey Toki. Tried today in a Toki highball, a deceptively complex sipper, and one whose preparation should be treated as an art form. Please drink responsibly. Suntory Whiskey Toki is a registered trademark with 43% alcohol by volume. Copyright 2022, Beam Suntory Import Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. The key to perfecting any dish as a chef once told me, is lots of small things done well. I've always imagined this to be true of drinks as well. It's basically all we talk about here at Cocktail College. And in no drink do I think this philosophy is more appropriate than the whiskey highball. This drink can be something as simple as a splash of scotch, some fizzy water, and a few cubes of the world's worst ice. Or, if you're taking it to extreme levels... The Whiskey Highball can present a study in such topics as temperature, pouring skills, carbonation, and nucleation points. Helping us do so today is Ian Townsend Griffiths. And honestly, it's tough to know where to begin with their bio. So let's just reel it off here. A particularly well-traveled Aussie, Ian won the first ever Bartender's Bartender Award at the world's 50 best bars in 2017. They partnered with Ryan Chitty Wardner to help run the globally recognized and innovative Mr. Lion brand, and then followed that up with Trash Tiki in 2016. These days, Ian runs Jellybone, which handles lots of cool creative stuff for spirits brands, RTD cocktails, and even drinks programs. Ian describes the whiskey highball as the drink they've basically gotten wrong the most during their career. And given that practice is another key when it comes to cracking perfection, who could possibly be better to chat to? Popular in 129 countries and counting, listener, this is the Cocktail College podcast, but you already knew that. And I'm pretty sure you're very familiar by now with the fine folks bringing it your way. So let's do this, shall we? All right, then we will kick it off. And uh, yeah, in the Cocktail College studio today, in the Vine Pair offices, Ian Griffiths joining us. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're super excited to have you. And I, I guess I should just, before we carry on, there is a guy right now outside 
literally building a bar in the office here, so it's inevitable there's going to be some banging where there's no escaping it, but... I mean, it just goes with the territory, right? right? And so, you know, yeah. so the, the, the work on that, I'm sure you'll be seeing this on social media soon, but just wanted to... To, to kind of preview that one and probably my luck now we won't hear a peep out of him at all so <laughs> there we go we are here to talk about the whiskey highball though indeed excited excited low-hanging fruit you said earlier just <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'd obviously listen to some back episodes and all the rest and i was sitting there i was like and i chose whiskey and water well done <laughs> here's what i do like about that though so i feel like a, a while ago i'd written about this cocktail for a column we used to have that was called Best Practices that mm. was basically like the written version of this podcast, right? right? Okay, yeah. And I, I think in that piece, I was just reading back over it, you know, for my notes or whatever. And in that piece, I thought, I noted that when something is so simple, in the bartending world, it seems like that's this inspiration to just geek out about it mm. so much because the simpler it is, like the more you can dial down into things. I think what I love about it as well is like the more we seem driven to completely and utterly fuck it up so much <laughs> as well. Like where people do turn around, they're like, yeah, and it's a highball. And it's like, then why did you ruin it with these four other ingredients? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, obviously, I'm a big fan of innovation and creativity and all the rest of it. But even like in running back and like doing a little bit of research for this and thinking back through my own career, it is unquestionably also the drink that I've gotten wrong the most. There was really? like when we did like white line and, you know, we were making everything ourselves and forced carbonate and no ice and all that. Mm -hmm. I still remember the drink that Ryan and I got wrong. The one drink that we never were able to perfect in a white line style and put on the menu was a fucking vodka soda. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. Every, everything we tried to do to it. And then again, I was, I was really fortunate to just be in Copenhagen and I was sitting at the wonderful Ruby. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I was like reading through the menu and I was looking at it and everything. And I was like, oh, wow, that drink sounds really good. And then I like paused for a second. And I remember remember that the really incredibly talented Goran Aziz, who used to work for us at Dandelion, is now running Ruby. Mm -hmm. And I looked at one of these drinks, I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure we had a drink like that on the menu at Dandelion. And so I ordered it anyway. And I remember the drink that we had done at Dandelion being just really subpar, really one of those ones that it was like two days before we went to print and Ryan and I just phoned it in and were like, <laughs> whiskey highball, chocolate, oats, <laughs> go, no worries at all. And it was like one of those ones that haunted us for the whole 12 months where every time the staff had to serve us, they like kind of stared at you and were like, oh, you assholes. <laughs> and then I'm sitting at Ruby and I have this drink and it's absolutely exceptional. And Goran had basically gone and perfected everything mm. that Ryan and I had totally screwed up. And it was really wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is, it's one of those like, because it's a, cocktails are always the sum of their parts and you're only starting with two, everything you do is deriving from that and then, you know, it's a dice roll as to whether or not you're going to be able to pull it off. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And I think, yeah, you know, you compare this to something else like, you know, maybe you mentioned the Corpse Survivor there earlier. Mm. Like the more ingredients you're adding, probably the less you want to do to start like trying to tweak things because – if the balance is there, it's good, you know, yeah, like you, you can absolutely. upset things. Yeah. This is two ingredients. I'm actually going to say three ingredients here, one being ice, although yeah. given, given your own given your own <laughs> professional history there, you might, Definitely <laughs> you might put push back on your that eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about it, though, from a cultural perspective mm. first. Mm. This being like, 
I think there's something interesting about the whiskey highball where a whiskey highball or, you know, maybe translations of that or that, you know, is a very accepted cocktail. Yes. Yeah. It's also could easily be a scotch and soda, which is which is the polar opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting about this drink. I I think that's almost what I love about it again as well is just that it is one of those like you can do the most deft of touches to dress this up or dress this down. To your point, if I'm drinking a scotch and soda, I have a certain type of incredibly shitty ice yep. and a small water <laughs> tumbler in my hand, and that's what comes to mind. That's yet, exactly what comes right, to my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like and like and then yet when I'm like saying a highball, I'm seeing something long and sexy and mm. slender and really fine bubbles and maybe a lemon twist and mm. that kind of thing. The and glasses so, frosted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All those wonderful little like truly deft touches that actually speak to the fact that a cocktail is not about whether it's shaken or stirred or how many ingredients and all the rest of it. It really is about the care and the tension and the effort that goes into it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and then I think alongside of that, the reason I definitely chose this today is that I love the highball just for the journey it's had throughout life at so many different times. Yeah. And, like, before we even, I think I was it was like 80 90s or some stuff where it was like actually being mentioned as a highball but we've got horses next mm -hmm. noticed all the way back in jerry thomas and that kind of thing and then that drink evolved and then we came to know the garnish as the whole and it's like it's just got this wonderful little dalliance throughout cocktail history mm -hmm. of being like omnipresent mm -hmm. but always evolving mm -hmm. as well yeah strong use of the word dalliance there. thank you it's one of, it's one of my top five <laughs> words <laughs> i can't say it's actually my regular rotation yeah. but i was weaving I, my I, hands I, there i saw and it happening in real time there. yeah 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 <laughs> the second part of this podcast will be interpretive dance viciously boring <laughs> for everyone except the three of us <laughs> but you know you talk about that journey there we don't have to we don't have to track all of it mm. but i'd love to hear some of the kind of major moments in that journey you know in your opinion yeah, yeah i mean so it definitely <laughs> like I mean, my discovery of it even starts with a horse's neck and just like coming in and, you know, just being that really young, early 20s bartender, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get into it. Still have never actually read a cocktail book in its entirety. Thank you to all my friends that always <laughs> send me theirs, but they, they mostly just help me get a really great angle on my laptop when I'm on Zoom these days. Kind of I tell you I'm the same with cookbooks. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, please keep sending them. Yeah. Um, but, but so the horse's neck? Yeah, a horse's neck. What's that for neck? someone... So whiskey, soda, some of the recipes calling for bitters, but the real thing that makes it is the garnish that is what we know it as now, which is basically getting your fruit peeler and going around the entire middle circumference of a lemon or an orange typically. And then same as you'll see in a lot of early brandy cruster recipes, yep. it's wrapped up in that big ribbon and sits almost like a collar in the top of the drink. And I just remember, I was definitely in Australia, I was probably in Melbourne at that point, and I just remember like coming and being like, oh, wow, this is like a really cool drink and being the young bartender and having one of the old dogs at Black Pearl turn around and be like, fuck off, it's a whiskey soda. And you know, like, oh, okay, cool, fair enough then. I'll just shut up and go polish glasses then, won't I? Kind of I, can, I can vividly see that though, you know, yeah. seeing the garnish and being like, oh my, you know, cocktails can be this, this, yeah, this profession yeah. can be that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Literally brought down a peg instantly. Kind of thing. Well, you know, it's showing you the potential of the job and yeah. also some of the realities. Exactly, yeah. And then I guess the small amount of research I did um, for this where I was like, hmm, I was like, 
I know where I first discovered the drink, and I know where like certain ways have brought it back into modern culture. But specifically, the thing that I read was that um, we were looking at 1890s when the world highball and whiskey highball were actually first being printed and utilized and everything like that. There's a, a song and a movie script and then some articles that start to talk about it as well. Um, there is apparently massive conjecture about where the name comes from mm -hmm. as well. Like literally there's like everybody has their own reason for it. Pretty much there's cocktail books through the 1890s up to the 1930s that all like posit a different idea about why. One of them I read being that apparently whiskey drinks were called bowls back in the day. Well, this is, yeah. I, I was, I wanted to get into the etymology there of, of yeah. the, the highball as the name for the glass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, is that because of, I don't know, the, yeah. the base of the glass, how it would have been before, or, or the, is, you were saying it's the ingredients? Yeah, well, so one that I read that was like, oh, whiskey drinks were just called bowls. And I was like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. cool, fair Interesting. enough. Then. Yeah, oh, that's a choice. <laughs> um, uh, but then, like, another one that I saw was the fact that because ice was a premium product, right? right? And that's really what makes this drink a cocktail long before. It, like, if someone created it today, everyone would just turn and be like, that's not a cocktail, mm -hmm. right? And so ice being a premium and having the blocks or balls or shards of ice, it was the fact that you would have to have a number of them stacked to fill the glass. Uh. So it was higher. And I was like, all right, that's interesting. It's a little bit more believable through the modern lens. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, you know, we just weren't around and education was different and vernacular <laughs> was different. So yeah. it's like, as to why it really came about, I just love that one day it suddenly became a thing because, yeah, yeah it really is in great succession in that mid 1890s period, there's just suddenly like multiple written examples and never before was it written. And it's just kind of like- What happens? Yeah, I was like, it's not like they had the internet. No, exactly. Like, Carrier pigeon for cocktail nerds mm -hmm. or something. And they're like, we're calling it this now. Go, <laughs> go, be free. Oftentimes it's like a it's like a world fair or something, right? Something yeah, goes on in yeah, like early yeah. influencer events. Right, I guess that's it. We all actually used to all hang out together in the same space, <laughs> so that's- uh, No more, who weird. needs it? <laughs> Here's another one that I'm just thinking about as you're mentioning, you know, ice being a premium industry mm. back then. Yeah. The evolution of things. I've never thought about this before, but who one day has a glass of water in front of them mm. and goes, you know what, this is good, but what it needs is bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I guess we probably already had some kind of forms of sparkling wine right, right by that point yeah and we did um, have like yeah. some forms of like naturally occurring and that kind N of naturally thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 but then champagne was also sweet as fuck back then yeah. too so like there was no non-dosage or anything like that it wasn't even brute at that point <laughs> in time it was diabetes in a Just, glass yeah. like it's uh yeah uh, so i guess that's answered that one that's a shame but i do yeah. like the idea of someone it's not how it came around, but someone just saying, you know what, this needs yeah. is, is bubbles. I mean, I'm actually, because of the dear Cooper Cheatham, I've actually been reading up on Perrier and getting ready for an event with them. And I know that they came about in the 1860s. Mm -hmm. So m without knowing all the details and just throwing out wild conjecture mm -hmm. on the internet, because why the fuck not? <laughs> Maybe it is that like late 18th century yep. period that really brought about like, or yeah, 1860s onwards period that uh, brought about that, uh, yeah, our use the coming of Together, and yeah. all the rest of it. This dalliance yeah. of, of whiskey and, and yeah. sparkling water. But that's it as well, is that like, it really is now a thing that we're so firmly like, it must be carbonated water yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But, and we now see it on every 
faux Japanese speakeasy menu and all the rest of it and that kind of thing. The Japanese do have Mizuwari, mm -hmm. Mizu being water and Wari being divide, mm -hmm. but original Mizuwari was always still water. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was not, it's only in modern evolution that it's come to always be sparkling mm -hmm. or um, soda club soda or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But the, the originals were also more likely with Emeshu or something like that. And it was actually just a still water highball that they did there kind of thing. So maybe there's somebody out there that's far more nerdy than me that wants to do a carbonation episode for you or something like that. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I know, I think I know just the person well, yeah, for that. Yeah. Um, but what about that then? So I, cause I, I think the modern popularity mm. of this cocktail yeah, yeah. does have a lot to do with the Japanese interpretation of this drink yep. and, and probably an association that we have I don't want to generalize, but an association that we have with certain aspects of Japanese culture when it comes to food and beverages, you know, just perfecting things yeah, on a level that maybe the rest of the world doesn't. I, I was going to say, there's simply an appreciation of elegance and simplicity there mm -hmm. in a manner that, I mean, it's just something that literally has to be part of your culture. We've, as we've seen with so many attempts across uh, this fine country and many others <laughs> to like emulate that Japanese style of bar, mm -hmm. it, there's just so much deeper cultural inference to it than simply looking at a glass and being like, ooh, great, mm -hmm. I can do that here. Yeah. yeah. But I do think that modern reemergence, obviously like, the absolute love that so many have for Japanese culture beyond just cocktails. Yeah. That, like, second or third wave, depending on how you kind of look through history, hitting at a time when, like, we were getting, like, the madman push and everything like that, which I still... I often, like, when I bring that up, everyone's always like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, you forgot about, like, like we went from no one drinking old fashions to everyone <laughs> drinking old fashions to fucking Ryan Gosling pulling off a dirty dancing movie and making an old fashioned. Like, like we did that in, like, three years yeah. or less kind it's of wild. thing. Like, like, it really did shift it as well. And so I do think, again, there is that just, like, you know, we got... We got lost in the molecular world for a few years we, yeah, there. We did. We, we took a little detour all, down there. We, we all did some things that we'd rather forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the internet never does, sadly. <laughs> um, and like, and then we kind of got through that. And same, I do, frankly, sitting here now in 2022, and we've chatted about this before as well, the the cultural, if there was a, any kind of shift during the pandemic, there was a, a refocus back on the classics yep. and the firm ones that are dependable and just always going to be wonderful, yep. right? And that reemergence of classics, I think when we saw that in that post-molecular era, that's when that highball really started to gain traction, right? Yeah. We had that, It's because it's never one thing. Very mm -hmm. rarely is a catalyst of a social or a new popularity a single item, and it really was that melting pot of, like, whiskey and whiskey cocktails yep. coming back in in a huge way. Another era, essentially every decade, the, that decade's era of love of Japanese culture being integrated yep. into Western culture again, and then just a refocus after being like, well, that was a bit silly with all our foams and balloons, wasn't yeah. it? Kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, on the one like, hand, you have two ingredients plus, yeah, you know, yeah, garnish, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> and on the other, yeah. And on the other, you've got, this is the air of moss. All right, okay. It's for, time for my first gripe of the day here. Can I, can I bring it I'll out? I'll bring it, please, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. It's verifications. Mm, More yeah. the food world. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically... Spherified tomato or olive. 
Mm, okay. I've had okay. these as garnishes. Yeah. I believe the olive was famous at El Bulli. Yeah, it was. All yeah. I want to say is nature gave us olives mm. and they're fucking round. Yeah. They're spheres. <laughs> you don't need to sparify them. What I, were they thinking? I really feel but breaking something down to its elements that was already round and then reforming it in a round shape again <laughs> really underscores the ridiculousness of molecular gastronomy right. in a single sentence right there. Here is an ingredient that is so simple and yeah. so delicious in its natural form. Let's add a massive labor cost yeah, to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, I... Have really, I, I still occasionally use ferrification to this day. So, mm. like, and, and even as I say this, I'm like, when's the last time I did that? And I was like, silver line menu where we did a spherified cherry, also around fruit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Uh -oh. oh, my God. No, no, no. <laughs> if you can't make fun of yourself and laugh at your own ridiculousness, you never get to do I'll it for say anyone this, else. I'll <laughs> say this about the cherry, it has a stone. So, yeah, you know, there you go. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for, for that very reason, I wouldn't like the cherries as a kind of garnet. Yeah. Right in its natural state. And I have had, I went really fortunate once, uh, one of the million uh, Adria Brother projects in Barcelona is their bodega kind of concept. Um, uh, and they still serve the spherified olive there. Mm -hmm. And I have had it. And I remember being like, that was wonderful. I never need to have that again. Yeah, yeah. And, and not in a bad way or anything like no. that, but it is just like a box tick. And it was like, real olives right, are bad. Done it. Yeah, yeah, take that one off the list. <laughs> I believe you can actually get it up in uh, Mercado Little mm. Spain here in, yeah. in New York, up in Hudson Yards. So check it out. That's where I had my first and and, and, and as you say, my last. It yeah, was, you know, that's it kind was... of one of those, like, oh, well, that's fun. Kind yeah. of thing. I do remember I was in Edinburgh and Bramble's Sister Bar Last Word mm. and the wonderful Robin Honhold there was working on a drink and they were going to do like a peach, and this is like 2011, 2012, and they were like, oh, let's do like a peach spherified into a glass of bubbles and like then we've got like our own little Bellini and the last word played a fantastic like rotation of rock music and I was like looking at them as they dropped the tiny little peach pearls in there and I was like, oh, you should call this a Zeppelini. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Robin turning around being like, Fuck you. And it was because the drink became so popular that, like, they were just constantly making oh so many. God. I mean, just walk in and there's just one poor person on set up with the it's syringe going drip, 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 <laughs> drip, 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 like this. And it's like the most tedious of work in the world. Know really, your yeah. limits. Yeah, know exactly. your limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, okay, here's another little, you know, a, a sidebar to the mm. sidebar yeah. that we have going on here. How important is that? Because you you do have a background and a lot of experience in experimental cocktails, mm. you know, groundbreaking techniques. Mm. When you're putting things on the menu, is that top of mind? Like, what if this becomes what if this becomes our most expensive, our, our most uh, popular cocktail? It's not. It is now, <laughs> and that's because it wasn't. And I really fucked over a lot of my bartenders over the years by doing that. <laughs> like just turning around in those like early young days and, and like creating something. And you know, some of the like some of the things we're flagged as for being innovative is literally just like using coffee scales to measure our drinks for greater accuracy. Yeah. And that increases speed of service. But I think like just as a general bartender, it is turning around and being like, oh this drink's banging, but then turning around and being like oh, it's a full-bottle pickup, yep. even with a batching program, and yep. it requires shaking, and then it's got to go to the past to get a champagne top, and then it's got a three-touch garnish, and yep. it's like, oh, we created a monster. <laughs> this is the worst thing I in the created world. the yeah. worst Saturday yeah, night exactly. for the next 12 months yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and, that's, and then, yeah, as well. like, And the guests seem to know. 
they seem to know which one it is. They all go for it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. It's, uh, so no, that like scalability, I would say is something I'm like viciously conscious of mm -hmm. now more than ever, but it took a lot of being like, oh no. Mm. Uh, and like, I guess throughout my career and with my so many wonderful business partners I've been so lucky to have, I've definitely always been the one that's a little too achingly more pragmatic and being like, no, let's not do that. Let's do this. Like a really great example, uh, White Lines beeswax old fashioned and, yep. and really bringing beeswax into the culinary world in and in the drinks world in a dominant way. Mm. The original idea for that was that Ryan wanted us to individually melt beeswax and mold it around balloons, burst the balloon, then decant <laughs> a single old fashioned into the beeswax egg and then crack the egg in front of the guest. Yeah. Every time we serve that drink so wonderful photo would have photographed brilliantly all the rest of it i was like right we're not gonna do that because yeah. that's fucking ridiculous <laughs> also i still have great memories of like him turning around and being like nah it's gonna work and i was like all right well i'm not doing it so you go and do it and him trying to put a blown up balloon into a pot of melting wax <laughs> and it obviously instantly exploding and going everywhere and waxing and he just like turned around and he's like oh no <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah that's so, the, you're, you're you're employing just one person to do that. Exactly. That drink goes on the menu. Yeah. So if anything, I'd say my pragmatism is I've always been the person with a few many hiccups along the way. That's mm -hmm. always been like, maybe we should find a way to streamline this so mm -hmm. that everyone doesn't hate us as we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can bring this back to the whiskey highball here mm. by talking about the fact that this is a drink that you will see on draft mm. and and sometimes maybe even to better effects. I want to get your opinion on that first. Mm. But if we're talking, of course, we are talking about the pinnacle of this drink today, yeah. right? Like how we get there, yeah. what that drink encompasses, like all the different factors. What are the most important aspects when it comes to a really well-made whiskey highball? Mm. Um, like whether it's temperature or, yeah, all the different factors. Right, there's so many. I mean, like if we are talking about it, the reality is in 2022, we are talking about like a... Japanese whiskey highball at yes. the end of the day. Yeah. Like, it's like scotch is still without doubt my favorite spirit in the world. And I will, like, my desert island drams are all scotch, all the rest yeah. of it. I, and I really do love it so much. But there is a reality to the finesse of how the whiskey is made, right through to even the utilizing of block ice. Yep. And especially down to, and what I think really in this current landscape where we're so fortunate to be able to go into so many bars and order a whiskey highball, is it actually does come down to, like, like the incredibly wonderful tiny little bubbles you get in a really well-made soda. Mm -hmm. And that's like where I've definitely like been in the places and it's like, okay, if you're like picking up great whiskey, that's good. And if you're not, you already know that you're bringing your product down a step. And like the, the prettiness of the glass is always wonderful, but like how much that really adds to the final drink is definitely in the person who's holding it and that mm. kind of thing. I don't need the fanciest glass in the world to be able to turn around and be like, this is a great fucking drink. Ice is obviously super important. As we chatted about, you're not going to be doing pebble ice. Mm -hmm. You really don't even want to be doing like shitty hotel ice. You want to be on a minimum of like a Scotsman, if not a KD, if not even better, like stepping up to like block ice or something like okay. that um, and having that nice clean spear. Mm -hmm. But it's the bubbles for me. It really does come back to the water mm -hmm. and making sure and that's where like like the Suntory whiskey highball machines they're just so awesome yeah Hel hella expensive obviously yep. as well you've really got to be doing some toki to justify it but it is just one of those ones that it's like 
it's so great to be able to turn around and like when you get it, you just like they're like tiny little delicious bubbles. Yeah. You just go and fold it. And yeah. It's like yeah, and that's where. So I like this, so the whole process is designed towards mm. maintain or create you know the smallest bubbles possible. Yeah, and creating the most pressure within the drink. Definitely, I think, yeah. You can probably, I'm sure there's an expert out there that could be like, well, you could actually go too tiny with the bubbles and the nucleation yeah, points well, and yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, and all the rest of it. It's like, okay, that's very fair. But that is definitely where I don't think a fully corny kegged made in-house whiskey highball would ever be as good as simply pouring the whiskey over a great block of ice and cracking a commercially well-made soda kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. I've definitely never been to a bar running a draft program mm -hmm. that has had, like, their carbonation dialed into the point where it's like, this is a Betty whiskey soda than if you cracked a great bottle of Spark Really? Bubbles. Yeah, I like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I mm -hmm. love carbonated cocktails, all yeah. the rest of it, but, like, I mean, we're, we're getting to the point of talking about mousse, essentially, yep. and the same as in the champagne world within our bubbles for our water. And, I mean, if you're out there and you're like, fuck you, I do it that well, I'm like, I'm really happy about <laughs> that. Congrats <laughs> to you and all the rest yeah. of it. But, yeah, even the even bars I've been to that have 100 tap cocktails and all the rest of it, and they're fucking great bars and all the rest of it, they're still not – we're not playing with the level of quality that we're talking about when you're, like, looking into a centuries-old commercial manufacturer who has literal scientists focusing on yeah, these exactly. things. Yeah, exactly. Like, we are bartenders. Yeah. At the end of the day, we really should know our limits. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And, and, and it's useful, therefore, for the show that we're talking about that, that preparation because then it's kind of applicable to everyone who's listening too, or, or it can be. Yeah. Um, what are some of the factors we can control then – Let's start with temperature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, normally, because I will say, normally we will do more of a focus, we'll have more of a focus on ingredients and whatnot. Yeah. We've explored here that the ingredients are very simple. Right. So yeah. we can we can dial in more to technique. Yeah. So temperature. How cold are you wanting your whiskey and your water? And you said cracking a new soda there yeah. as well. Yeah. Talking about like a new soda, that's like I just there's just nothing worse than when you go to a bar and you get your drink and you know that you got the second half of a bottle that was open 10 minutes ago. That's like, true. It's, a, it's why I really like Fever Tree do the little, like, airplane can size, the tiny little ones. And, like, I have definitely have partners, owners, managers that turn around and go, yeah, but it'd be, like, more efficient if we got the bottle or anything like that. And it's like, like the can makes one drink and then you throw the can out. Yeah. Like, it, it's... And aluminum, if you want to get into that kind of environmental shite, is more recyclable than glass. So, yeah. like, like, it just makes more sense to have that, like, fresh product because, mm -hmm. like, I mean, we obsess about freshness in so many other parts of it. And, like, fresh bubbles matter in a whiskey highball. That's yeah. what you want. Yeah. And are there any kind of... We'll stick with water here for a second. Yeah. Are there any examples that you've come across where the bubbles just are like naturally finer? Like if I'm getting sparkling mineral water mm, yeah. versus club soda, yeah. seltzer, in my mind, I'm thinking the bubbles are finer, but is that just because I'm paying more money? Yeah, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, some of them definitely do have finer bubbles and mm -hmm. all the rest of it. And there's like so many brands out there as well. Like I like even more than Topo, I enjoy drinking uh, Mineral Agua or whatever yeah. that one is called. But I don't like it's pretty damn good in cocktails, but it's still it's big bubbles, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. like it's what you look for there and that kind of thing. I remember I went to an incredibly bougie bar and they were doing their highballs with uh, Vichy Catalan. Have you oh, ever had that before? This this thing is like sucking on a block of salt. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no. I'm not sure it's like sucking on a block of salt. <laughs> in, 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 the, in the water world. Maybe you like lick the block of salt this, and then drink the got, water. This know, thing's yeah, got yeah, a yeah. TDS scale off the scale. It is delicious. It is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't think it belongs in a whiskey. Like, I love Vichy right. Catalan, but it's like... Gerolsteiner's again, another one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It like, yeah, and those ones just, they do detract from it. Like, salt's delicious, don't yep. get me wrong. But, like, it, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't add to it in that kind of way. So yeah. would you, so you're just erring away completely from the, the sparkling mineral water then for this? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Because yeah. you do want, you want, like, an, an intensity, as well as you want, like, tiny bubbles, you want, like, a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. So you do want, like, a highly carbonated, you want, you want a club soda more than just a yeah. sparkling water, definitely. That's, I mean, that's what they say about Topo Chico as well, though, right? Right. Like, I don't yeah. know whether that's a myth, and it's just like, you know, this is the brand that has more carbonation yeah. than everyone else. But I mean, it's just so fucking expensive, right? It more is, than yeah, anything, yeah. It's like, and I mean, you've got limits on how much you can buy and all yeah. the rest of it, so I mean... Like, Allocated water. Yeah. That's where we're yeah, at in yeah. 2022. I did actually, in the myriad of um, visa hell I went through during the pandemic, I actually wound up in Monterey, Mexico, where they make Topo Chico, like right down at the source there. Um, two or three really wonderful restaurants and otherwise a viciously boring city, it must be said, like, and really great restaurants. But yeah, but yeah, like drinking it at the source, so to speak, and just trying it and just being like, Oh, this just tasty. Yeah, it's like, exactly. I, I, I'm just like, uh, I was like, there was at least there wasn't big signs saying limit of two poor people or something like <laughs> yeah. that. That was about the only difference kind yeah. of thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, topo, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a popular one. All right, so temperature back to temperature mm. for a second yeah, yeah, yeah. your whiskey mm. where's that coming from are you are you taking it out the freezer or how uh, far are you going there i don't like there's no hill i'm gonna die on with regards to that like if for whatever reason you turn around and go i like my whiskey cold it's like okay great cool mm -hmm. fair enough then like i mean it does make sense like you want everything as cold as possible going into the glass and that kind of thing but like Obviously, temperature also affects aroma and flavor and right. everything like that. And, and yeah, I guess if if it makes you feel good to be pulling your whiskey out of the fridge or freezer as well, to be like, look at us, we keep everything ice yeah. and cold. It's like, fill your boots. But, like, mm -hmm. if you're just pulling it down off the back bar, then that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. That's, so that's not, a, that's not a, yeah. like, non-negotiable for you when it comes to this drink? No, not at all. But, like, icy cold glass... Preferably yep. icy cold ice. That's mm -hmm. always really helpful. <laughs> um, and then, like, you know, you want spicy bubbles. You want them, like, as cold as possible. Come mm -hmm. in, like, like, you obviously don't want them frozen, but you do, again, you really want to make sure that you're, like, using a cold can of club soda. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. That's, and you yeah. used a term earlier. Yeah. Nucleation points there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the ice here because <laughs> uh, you know you've spoken about sphere, uh, you know spears of ice. Yeah. And I mean this this is the crux of this cocktail. If we are if we are dialing in, so yeah. talk to us. We've mentioned it on one or two shows before, but oh, good. but, but okay, not cool. so we have. Some folks may be familiar, but bring yeah. the rest of us up to speed. I mean, my understanding of it, and that is to say I could be totally wrong, is that it is like it are the small points where CO2 makes contact with solid matter and then reacts in that moment kind of thing. It's and becomes a bubble. Exactly, yeah. And so that's the reason if you're doing a force carbonated cocktail, you want to super bag it before you force carbonate it because you remove as much solid matter and as much nucleation points because mm -hmm. you don't want them to occur ideally until it's reaching the glass right that's the end game that you're looking for there and so again that's why like the big spear of ice gives you that like like 
it reduces the amount of nucleation points and it allows the soda to open up over a slightly slower period is yeah. my understanding um uh, but also it's just kind of yeah it, it, again if you use like whatever kind of the soda you choose the size of the bubbles the intensity of the carbonation at the exact moment they pour the glass, they all come into play. Like, yeah. and, and like it literally is it's a split second yeah. where that all matters. Yeah, there's it. no yeah. way you're making this like yeah, yeah, in yeah. a vacuum and, yeah. and, and no bubbles being created. And you're not retrofitting it. Like there's <laughs> no way you're coming back from that <laughs> no. either as well. That's yeah. Are there any techniques though when it comes to pouring the water again? Mm. This may yeah. be going too far, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it, no, I mean, there's like uh, the, <laughs> the really wonderful Caitlin Stewart up in Vancouver blew up on TikTok demonstrating how to like use the bar spoon to yep. pour the soda into it. Uh, and well done, Caitlin, for that. And I like, <laughs> I like the amount of friends I've been like, did you know about this? I was like, yeah, I mean, I was taught it in a club in like 2006, but I had like, it's a really great hack, but I just hadn't really thought about it in all that time. Um, Is it commonly used? I don't feel like I see it a lot. I do. I mean, again, like we all just thought bar spoons were great in nightclubs and we're trying to layer our shots and ooh, look at me <laughs> putting the soda water in the drink without it fizzing up. Um... I, I mean, really just get it in the glass. Just get it in I, the I glass, can't yeah. pretend as well, and definitely anyone who's seen me bartend before, I'm a little too focused on the efficiency of moving through the drinks as quickly as possible yep. to, like, waste time on being like, ooh, <laughs> like holding <laughs> the bar the spoon there and being like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine with the with the, 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 the twirly nature, though, of mm. the bar spoon, where that's nucleation points. Yeah, that's know. fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who yeah, knows? But no, so, no, I'm very much a just get it in the mm. glass. Like, again, no guest ever complains about getting their drink too quickly but mm. there's probably a guest out there that is wondering why the fuck that bartender is playing with the bar spoon <laughs> instead of serving them their drink right yeah. now so <laughs> pragmatic yeah i like exactly. it exactly <laughs> you, you know we touched upon whiskey and mm. you said this is most commonly associated mm. with with japanese whiskey for those reasons just wondering are there any that across the world of whiskey yeah are there any styles that you're like you know what actually i feel like this is not a good candidate for this drink or you know Here's an alternative to Japanese whiskey for this drink. Right, yeah. I mean, I think the reason Japanese whiskey works so well with its refinement and all the rest of it is that I think there's an incredibly strong argument, and some of my dear friends have made it before across presentations and education sessions, that a blended whiskey, a really well-made blended whiskey, is often a better option than a single malt scotch. Obviously talking, yeah, um, just that, like... You know, the grain element that you get, that does offer you up a slightly different um, aromatic, but yep. also, like, a different sweetness as well, everything like that. That, like, element of grain can actually be an incredibly positive thing to have involved in a great highball. A hundred percent. I think, you know, sorry to sorry to no, jump in no, here and no. cut you off, but just before we move on from grain whiskey, yeah. I think great summer whiskey yeah oh absolutely you know yeah. you get those grain notes but i often get get you know orchard fruit mm -hmm. or whatnot and and i like that and i feel like that's very apt for this this cocktail yeah and i think as well like you know we're talking about blended whiskey so that then there's a craft in that as well and so then you have the option to really look towards it like i like still frequently always lean towards johnny walker black so much because mm -hmm. there is that wonderful little lick of smoke in the yep, background of exactly it there. and it's just like it's really nice it's like it's not peaty as in a 
it's about to whack you over the head with a box of band-aids or anything like that no, but no. it's just like there's something really delicate and lovely in the back it's there. there yeah and then like when you look towards something more like a cutty sock you've got like a pretty high grain content there but then you've got this wonderful fruitiness that mm -hmm. comes through and i'm always picking up on like touches of like stone fruit and orchard fruit coming yep. through and Again, in that, like, it's blended. There is an art and a skill and a human behind this that pulled it together for a reason. And most blended whiskeys are crafted to be mixed. Yeah. And that's what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And so that's really, like... And then, of course, the enigmatic and fantastic educator Dave Broom and Ryan together did their Whiskey Heresy presentations before. And I believe someone walked out of the room once when they suggested the signature surf for Lagavulin should be with Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> but in his essence, still technically a highball and unquestionably very delicious as well. Very delicious, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I can't say I would too frequently, moving from blended into single malt, mm -hmm. I can't say I'm drawn towards... And uh, an Isla whiskey no. too often or anything like that. Maybe like a Bunnerhaben and that kind of thing. And this is like without getting douchey and going into vintages and stuff yep. like that, yep. which like have been very fortunate to drink a lot of like random and weird and really great rare whiskey over mm -hmm. the years and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and so there's certain eras of single malts that I think you could look towards and be like, oh, that's really interesting. Yep. Um, uh, the one that I do love, that I do always chat about a little bit is like whiskey goes out of popularity mostly because of vodka, late 70s, heading into the 80s. Yep. Beaumont has so much excess grain, they fire their stills at an incredibly high level. That like gives a very early reflux in the production. And so when you get like late 70s, early 80s Beaumont, it, it has this, it's a British suite here, so I apologize, but it's called Palmer Violets. Mm. And, and like it's a disservice to describe them as creme de violette because there's no. so much more going on in there. Yeah. But Beaumont of that era has this like freaky deaky like wow. Palmer Violet aromatic to it. And so that is really great in a highball yep. because the carbonation and all the rest of it pull out those aromas. You've still got a great single malt in there. But, yeah, I can't say there's too often where I'm like, hmm, I think mm. I should be, like, also particularly not in the U.S. because it's just bananas expensive over yeah. here. That I'm like, <laughs> um, well, I mean, that, that kind of leads us to Japanese whiskey yeah, as well in terms yeah. of, like, I think if you were to look at some of the versions of this cocktail being made maybe 10 years mm. or 15 years ago, they'd be using bottles now that you can't even you can't oh, find. Oh, we spanked so much good Japanese whiskey <laughs> back then. Oh, it's just, so, like, it really is one of those things you look back and you're like, well, we just drank that like we were assholes. Hey, and it's because we were assholes and still are, <laughs> to be fair. Um, that, that part hasn't changed, but just, I mean, like, the shore, the shortage was rapid. It came out of nowhere, and it was all of a sudden. It was just like, oh, we have none left. And yeah. I, it was like, I can't remember. Let's call it somewhere 2014, 2015. Apparently it was the master distiller of Nika turned mm. up to the Tokyo Bar Show and only had Nika from the barrel to pour. And I still remember that being like one of the first anecdotes where people were like, yeah, we've kind of fucked it. It's yeah. going to be 20 years before we have this on the regular again. And again, thing. it comes yeah. back to that that point we were mentioning at the beginning, which mm. is like, we, began, we had this appreciation for Japanese whiskey too. And suddenly, yeah. and that felt like it came out of nowhere as well. Definitely, yeah. You mentioned earlier kind of like the, you know, the Toki highball machines there mm. too. And I, I think that's something that I'm actually even now seeing moving into Scotch, where it's where we have these whiskies that are designed pretty much specifically mm -hmm. for bartending, and it makes sense that they are blends yep. as well. Yeah, absolutely, because, yeah, that that's why they have such an integral role in this drink, is it just, like, there is... It's so rare to have a spirit that is produced 
maybe gin is one of the few other spirits I could think of that are produced and when the person's making it, they're making it with one specific drink in mind. Yeah. And so like gins will turn around and be like, we make a gin and tonic gin, right? How often, like, and like maybe someone might turn around and be like, we make a daiquiri rum or that kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. But that's probably the marketing team just putting their claws into the product and fucking it up. Like, (laughs) it's, uh, yeah. But like very, very often you will just get master blenders that do turn around and be like, oh, this is made for highballs. Yeah. And, And like, and it's just like, that's it. It's like mix with it. Sure, do other things. Knock knock yourself out with a Rob Roy or whatever else mm-hmm. you're going to feel good with. But this is made for highballs. And but, yeah, that really speaks to again what we're talking about at the top. Just mm. on the one hand, this looking like something that's very simple, right? Yeah. But actually, there's so much. But it's like those idiots on LinkedIn yes. with their with their icebergs. So I've still never joined it quite proudly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've heard <laughs> you know, about this. But you know the, you yeah. know the kind of popular motivational memes, yeah. like all the work is under the surface. Of the, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I, I, but it's true in this case. It, it is, yeah. I, I still on the LinkedIn thing. Like I saw someone share a meme from the other day. And I was like, do people still use that? And they're like, yeah, it's quite popular, actually. I was like, oh. Wasn't okay. the meme of the man crying, was it? I think it probably was, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah didn't know yeah. that platform was still going. Uh, um, yeah, no, they're they're trying to turn into, like, a proper social media network. <laughs> like, there's Can a, we just have, yeah. like, five minutes of the day where we don't have to work constantly? That'd be <laughs> yeah. so fun. Now even the professional platforms yeah. have become, yeah. Um, it's, it's so interesting, though. Um, one thing we normally do in this show, and, mm. we, and we do have to do for this, even though, again, we've, we've kind of covered it all, really, yeah. but is to stick with tradition. Can you talk us through the whiskey highball here as if you were making it, you know, right. okay, yeah. you know, in a fairly busy service, but also maybe, maybe the, uh, the, the person at your door here, whoever's, mm-hmm. whoever's accepting reservations has said, this is a VIP customer here. So you want to dial it up just a little gotcha. bit. Gotcha, just give it that little extra tweak. But yeah. It is so much like, I and, think, and including sorry, just uh, mm. rough quantities for this as well, gotcha. kind of steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, uh, so right now, I, as part of my agency, Jellybone, I am creative beverage for Midnight Cafe over mm-hmm. on like West Thirty Third and Ninth, and so like. In my head in that moment, if, like, somebody came in and I did need to make them, like, a really special, wonderful whiskey highball, it, like, I think the most beautiful thing you could do to show that you're giving it the right amount of, like, care and attention is, like, as opposed to usually building two or three drinks at once, it's just taking that moment to manufacture it on its own for a moment and serve it individually. Like, it really is because, like, at the end of the day, you're going to go glass, you're going to go whiskey, you're going to go ice, you're going to go bubbles, right? Those, like, that order that you do that, if you go bubbles and ice, you're drink's going to look like a grade three volcano science experiment. <laughs> so like the, like that order is like pretty hard to mess with. You could go ice, then whiskey. But mm-hmm. like that's really about it. Um, uh, I'm sure the wonderful team at Cafe would turn around and prep ours on a coffee scale just to really impress me unnecessarily. So yeah. And that's great. But I actually do think that, yeah, because we are just talking frozen glass, mm-hmm. good quality whiskey, uh, a great block of ice, and then like good quality club soda – it is, and again, it's the beautiful nature of it. It's just taking that split moment for them to see that you're giving it the right care and attention. Yep. Because, like, you, like, anything you try and do... Oh, and then I do really still enjoy when I call for a whiskey highball. I love a lemon twist. 
yeah. So yeah. I was going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, I like. I really do enjoy that. I don't need it rubbed around the rim of my gloss. No. Like, yeah, um, or anything like Just that. Just a little express and yeah, plop it in definitely. there. definitely. Plop it in there. Or I do really love and I enjoy when people just like arresting the twist on the edge of the glass yeah. so that you can decide whether or not you want it in there for the duration. I like, I like it as well because like for myself, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but sometimes I get a drink and I know because of whatever state I'm in at that point in time, it might last a matter of seconds, yeah. right? <laughs> and so like when I get that, when I grab my highball and it's probably the first one of the night, I'm like, this one's not going to last long. I couldn't care less about the lemon twist going in there because it's not going to last long enough to really impact the drink. Right. But I do also know there's moments where I might be sitting in a professional setting or I'm simply only having one or two drinks drinks for the night and I want to make sure they matter and I take my time to enjoy them a little bit more. A plethora of different reasons that I know I'm probably going to sit on my drink and take mm -hmm. my time with it and I enjoy not having my lemon or any of my citrus garnishes forced into the drink because there does become a point where they overextract and they mm -hmm. become bitter or funky or soggy and it's just like it it withdraws from the final appeal. Okay. And then also yeah. just they're a solid there in the glass. They might be hitting you when you're drinking yeah, as well. That kind yeah, of annoys yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where like a good horse's neck to really like tie this all with like a really good horse's neck for me should be trimmed in modern context as well. Obviously, they weren't trimmed back in the day or anything like that, but trimming them because they do typically rise to the top of the wash line. They mm -hmm. bob around like a water boy, if you will, kind of thing, and that does mean that they hit you in the nose as you yeah. drink that drink. And so it's another reason that's like it's just a little touch that you can do to trim it so that when it sits flush with the edge of the glass, there isn't like the rough edges of the peeler like poking you in the snout while you drink it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you also mentioned weighing out this with a, a, a you know a coffee <laughs> if you were using ounces for our our, our american listeners here yeah. what would that be and then what would it be by weight i don't know like 17 it's the dumbest measurement system in the fucking world. <laughs> oh, all right what would yeah. it be in milliliters 60 milliliters 60 milliliters yeah, okay. 60 mil milliliters and then uh, a top with soda we've got like the glassware and the ice and the we use the small fever tree cans makes exactly the perfect amount in there amazing so, yeah that's what we work with and 60 there. ml would be two ounces 60 grams or yeah. It does not, actually, or, is there, or, is there, or does whiskey weigh a little bit more than water? It's negligible in the difference <laughs> that it weighs kind of thing. We've looked into it a lot over the years and like there is the odd one that we pick up on and there's like particularly some of the sherry cask whiskeys that we've yep. got. But even then, we're not we're not using scales at that point. If we're jiggering a single malt dram, that's sherry cask. Oh, mm -hmm. Sorry, if we're pouring a single malt and it is a sherry cask, there'd be very little reason for us to be, we'd just use a jigger and do yep. it classically. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, 60 mils or two ounces. Two to, ounces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You know, there we go. Um, I like that you called back to the top though there with the horse's neck. Very yeah. pro move of you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are getting toward the end of the conversation here on the Whiskey Highball. So I'm going to ask you for any final thoughts. But first, before that, mm. have you ever had a very memorable, almost life-changing, maybe life-changing is too far, but... Have have you ever had a really, really memorable version of this cocktail? Yes. There is this really fantastic, I forget who recommended it to me, but it's a wonderful yakitori restaurant down in Ginza in Tokyo. And I've been fortunate to go twice to Japan and I've made a trip to go there both times. It's just like, it's really great. It's using all parts of the animal as they do without trying to like brand themselves into anything cool or interesting. Yeah. It's just because it's fucking common sense. <laughs> um, and so like you can go and get chicken hearts, chicken liver. You get like, you're able to get like the little yakitori sticks of the whole thing. And they just have their highballs there. And 
I really love this one because what they do is they actually add a cheeky little splash of like just a really lovely like yuzu cordial in there. Ooh. Yeah, and I'm a sucker for sugar. I like I constantly have the duality of being like what sweetness level I like my drinks to be at and what I know the consumer, depending on the city and country I'm in and the mm. year that I'm making drinks, that always varies a lot as well. And so... I really love it because I think like a cheeky touch of sugar in there is really nice. Mm. It feels like a bit of a treat, right? Yeah. You're like, ooh, this is nice. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And so that one I really remember so well. Um, I would butcher the name of the restaurant, so I won't yeah. even attempt that. Um, that's, that's one that stands yeah, out. Yeah, I have it like saved in my map. And like even yeah. yesterday I had a friend that's like, on a random tour and they were like I've got 24 hours in Tokyo where should I go and I like sent them that one they're like I really thought you were going to tell me like three or four cocktail bars I was like oh yeah sure you should go to these ones as well and they're like why just you <laughs> do a yakitori restaurant and I was like because I really love it it's like it's simple and then like you're just surrounded with business man. Yep. like it's it's just one of those little spots that I really love efficient yeah. all around just in terms of service and yeah. using it using every part of the animal there like you're talking about yeah. in the cocktails yeah it's like just that. wonderful yeah. and then yeah and then just like you're able to get the, they have the Suntory machine mm -hmm. and they just literally have like, I think they also do a, a honeydew or something that mm -hmm. you can spike it with, but I just remember the Yuzu one always being one that I absolutely love. Yeah. So this does remind me to something we haven't spoken about. Simple ways to modify this mm, cocktail that yeah. don't take it too far from the essence. Yeah. Yeah. How about bitters? Bitters is great. I've definitely never got any problem with that. I, I mean, I don't really like... You know, you do you, whatever you need to do to make this great, as long as it remains great at yep. the end of the day, right? Like at the moment, we're doing a really wonderful Madeira sherry kind of one. Ooh. And just to build in the, just to build in a, a touch more depth, and we wanted like a lift of fruitiness to it. Um, we actually just do some, we take some pineapple that we've flambéed into a separate syrup, and then we just soak that in the Madeira for a couple of days. And so we've got a really wonderful pineapple Madeira, and then we spike it with some rye whiskey. And we actually do give it a touch of cardamom bitters as well. And mm. so we're still not directly adding too much extra sugar in there or anything like that. But it comes out really nicely. And mm -hmm. it's always like I had it last night. I was like, okay, yeah, it's still good. Like it's like it's definitely an enjoyable drink and all mm. the rest of it. But like even then, I the only other thing I really enjoy is uh, – and this would obviously be a still drink, but uh, I really enjoy using coconut water mm. and just having like whiskey, coconut water. Ryan and I drink an obnoxious amount of those. We, yeah. <laughs> we, it's a ridiculous story, but we basically wound up with our hands on an entire case of 1970s Johnny Walker Red, okay. which is just stupidly ridiculous whiskey <laughs> because like at that point in time, the single malts that were going in there were just wild. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we get this case. Very shortly after getting this case, we're in the middle of opening white line at this point. We realize we have no fucking money and probably shouldn't have bought that case of whiskey, but we've got it. Um, and we shouldn't buy any more booze than we need to for the bar. So through the period of opening our first bar together, we drink that entire case with coconut water every day. And no so, way. And it just like – so there is like a – there is like a memory specific to that that I still really love where like every now and again, like still doing a highball, still grabbing ice. And like particularly for this one, I usually use shitty ice because yep. like you need that extra dilution to cut through the 
not thickness or richness, but I find coconut water a bit sticky in the yep, mouth sometimes. For sure. So it can be a bit the, cloying. The shitty ice actually helps with the dilution to break it out a bit more. But yeah, that's just that's the one for me that I'm always like, that's like my warm little like memory of a time <laughs> where it was like when we were just being assholes. And, uh, <laughs> Learning experience. Learning experience, yeah, but also just being like, oh, this is really great. And then like drinking and like we obviously finished the case, not like quickly over a period of time, but then just turn around and be like, yeah, we just drank a whole case of 70s Johnny Walker Red. (laughs) 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 Um, Oh, wonderful. But just a really, I think think the best drinks that we ever love and call back to are ones that we have a memory associated with as well. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's the one I always like lean towards where I can. Yeah. Very nice. Well, any final thoughts now here on the Whiskey Highball? Anything that we haven't covered before we move on into the second segment of the show here. No, I think we did a pretty good job. We managed to not go too nerdy. That yeah. was like my big thing. I was just like, just don't get fucking nerdy about this. Like it's <laughs> whiskey in a glass at the end of the day. I with think some we bubbles. got nerdy enough. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Without getting completely carried away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any, before, before we do move on actually, those, is there any kind of gripes that you want to air or any hot takes? This is, you know, this is the place to drop yeah, them. We've been dropping yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, so. I did. I recently actually grabbed a whiskey soda. The reason I also mentioned this day is it's like it's pretty much my default drink okay. as well. And the most challenging thing about ordering it in this country is calling for Jewers and then being like, what? And being like, sorry, Dewers. And mm-hmm. having to put on like a, like <laughs> re-pronunciate the D differently just <laughs> yeah. to have the bartender understand what mm-hmm. I'm calling for. Um, uh, but no, I had one served in a jam jar to me recently and I just thought we were fucking done with that. I, I was, thought we were <laughs> over those. I was like I like wasn't even paying attention in the bar. I was just like, all right, cheers. And like went to pick no. up the glass to turn around and like felt what my hand was holding. I was like, why are we still <sighs> drinking out of kilner jars and jam jars and that kind of shite? Like it's it wasn't so like bad. a house party at 7 a.m. in the morning. At that point, <laughs> I'll drink it out of yeah, the shoe. Yeah, I'm sure. not fussy, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but it was like, right, just pay devil. You know what's gonna be jar. next as well is gonna be the you know, the the takeaway containers, the, mm. the round one, the 25 cent ones, because, you know, everyone watched The Bear and everyone's yeah. like, The Bear's amazing. And you know oh, what? Like it's amazing. Drinking like, from delis and quarts. And yeah, everything. the quart containers. Yeah, people are, yeah, I bet yeah. that's coming next. God. Uh, I hate people. Uh, <laughs> we should probably remove that one. Um, uh, I've, Actively I've, encouraged in the hospitality industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't, I, I haven't watched The Bear, to be very honest with you, for a, a multitude of reasons. Most of all, trying to establish better boundaries between work and personal life. A hundred percent. And literally not wanting to go home and spiral about my work in my personal (laughs) time more than I already do on a regular basis. And so I just haven't brought myself to watch it because, I mean, like, all everyone talks about is like, yeah, it's pretty triggering. Yeah, it's really intense. I'm like, so you went home after a shift (laughs) and just carried on the mental gymnastics of a shift in your head. I was like, that sounds like hell. Uh, Yeah, there's not enough weed in the world that makes me want to sit. and watch that so yeah yeah i had you know i six years since i last worked in the industry in any form and that, mm. that was as a chef and when i watched that i was just like yeah yeah this this is i can take or leave this right now i mean it's great congrats to them for like nailing the accuracy congrats yeah. to them for like really showcasing a side of our industry again having not watched it i believe they have like mostly done a, a fairly balanced job at telling it but yeah. like i mean the memes we got out of it were great the I memes really enjoyed were good all of them. Yeah. They, yeah. they were good but yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> there you go something for everyone yeah exactly horses for courses as we like to say yeah um all right then let's do it what are we doing? We're doing we're doing the quick hit questions. Oh, we're doing the quick hit questions. The, the Desert Island Discs. 
as you were, as you will. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right, then. You ready for it? Yeah, let's go. Let's I'll go. Kick it off. Question number one. Mm-hmm. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Ooh, totally depends on the concept. I fucking hate large back bars anyway. So, and I'm every brand ambassador's worst nightmare for that regard. <laughs> um, because I don't, I just don't like egregiously big back bars where they're like, we have 300 spirits. I was like, you still sell the same 25 every fucking night. Like, it's, uh, yep. yeah. Um, except for Jack Rose DC, shout out to yeah, them for a I mean, fantastic job at always selling so much great whiskey. Um, uh, Totally depends on the concept. Mm -hmm. I would say right now, um, weirdly enough, I'm like, it's a whole range of uncategorized spirits mm -hmm. or singulars in there, if you will. Everything from like empirical that it's yep. no secret how closely I love and work with those wonderful individuals. But St. Luda Moonshine, mm -hmm. which is a, a queer and trans owned and operated really fantastic spirit. Batavia Arak, I'm putting in far too many cocktails right now. I actually had to have a word with myself the other day. Like, <laughs> like, like, like you've got three across two menus and it's a completely <laughs> random ass spirit that the staff are sick of explaining to everybody. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would actually say right now, and then, you know, as that wonderful statistic that came out last month, agave, because for the yeah. first time ever, agave spirits outsold vodka in the U.S. Mm -hmm. last year. And so, like, and... I want to point out that I'm thinking that was value rather than volume. Really? I, I, I would imagine. Interesting. Huh. I, I'll, I'll profess to having glanced at it and being like, woo, and moving on with life. No, no, so, but, I, yeah, but, but, yeah, I, yeah. but I definitely see that as, yeah. I, yeah. I would imagine. We, but, yeah, like the but, dollar but still, amount we spent on agave. Versus <laughs> the, the cases. Right, yeah. But it's still phenomenal. I mean, yeah, I spent my uh, winter here working at like a, a very uh, – quote-unquote high-end nightclub we're talking like 21 dollar drinks and like 600 dollar yep. bottles of tito's just nice. to be able to get in and yep. stuff like that and uh, i mean on one of my first shifts one of the guys turned around he's like oh he's like and like the station you'll mostly work is like you get a lot of one-on-ones down that end not as much bottle service and you're basically in the agave mines just slinging tequila soda all night and i like <laughs> laughed i was like oh yeah that's cool fish great no worries at all and then i got down there and i was like looking at my like recycle bin and I was like how many bottles of tequila did I burn tonight like it, it really is like and I'm and I'm stoked about that I'm yeah. definitely not bitching at having come through the eras of having to fight about managers that wanted to have nine different vodkas on the back bar for whatever reason <laughs> uh, and all the rest of it like I'm thrilled to see that but yeah I'd say right now it's actually it's a whole bunch of singular and different products that kind of like make up that like non-categorized section mm. that I'm working with the most. Yeah. So like small in number, but very, very broad in, in, exactly. in style. Exactly, in style. And then like singulars of like products that are unquestionably their own style, but we can only get one here or there's one that's hyper unique that we want to work with. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Good answer. Mm. Question two, which ingredient or tool mm. is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Um, I think I did an article for Vine Pair through Trash on this in 2018, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I like went to give my answer. I was like, I've answered this before. And then I suddenly saw the article and I was like, and that was for Vine Pair. Oh, oh very yeah. interesting. Well, they were asking what was our most utilized tool on the road. And it was the coffee scale still because yep. like for batching, prepping, everything mm -hmm. like that. We didn't use it for service during in Trash Tour stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but what's the most underutilized bar tool? Um... 
probably in all honesty, like a good knife. Like we really even was joking about it last night. Somebody like went to cut a piece of fruit and uh, it's the wonderful Taylor Threadgill working at Midnight Cafe and I had two industry friends at the bar and they were like, saw Tay cut like just a grapefruit slice for a garnish and they were like, oh, you can tell that she's not a bartender trained and it's not. It's Tay, Tay has uh, almost a decade in kitchens experience before moving front of house. And it was, we then just started joking about how we do just butcher our fruit with like the shittiest Victorian X knives and everything yeah. like that. And like, you don't need to go wank and spend a whole bunch of money on like something fancy in Japanese and all the rest of it. But like for our elbows and our wrists yep. as well, I don't think we talk about that enough where like we do garnish prep for an hour before service every day. And like, that's an hour where where you're working with a superiorly inferior tool quite yeah. frequently kind of things. So, yeah. And also a blunt knife will do more damage to you than a sharp one oh, will. If you, if you miss and you cut yourself. Yeah, it'll come for you. You'll, yeah, yeah. you'll reach bone very quickly yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the sharp one, you, you notice quicker. It's yeah, just, it cuts like butter. So, all right, you yeah. can take off a nail. I'm just kind of shivering thinking about yeah. that. I'm getting like goosebumps here thinking about the amount of times I've done that and it's not fun. But, yeah, it's not. Uh, but no, so if there's something that's underutilized, yeah, but I also like fuck anything copper or brass plated. I do, again, I'm rather utilitarian and pragmatic in life where it's like just like have the good, effective, best but cheapest version of what mm -hmm. you need to do because, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Wow. <laughs> the most important piece of advice. Or maybe the yeah. most memorable. Damn. I mean, I, I will preface this by saying I think what's the like the best advice you get in life in any capacity whatsoever is often the advice you struggle to adhere to the most. And so like in saying what I'm about to say, I'm going to turn around and be like, I, this is not a, I am always perfect at practicing what I'm preaching or anything like that, but I am, uh, been in this industry pretty much my entire life. Uh, my mother's a caterer and I'm one of seven children. So I've been in kitchen since I was eight. I got a bartender literally two days after I turned 18, I got a bartending job. And even then my mother turned around and said, you're going to spend every weekend in a bar. So you may as well get paid for it. <laughs> like it, It's like, it's been with me always, but long before I was even a bartender. And the one thing I still do carry through the most is that was and I love my mom and she's been such a huge influence in my life still to this day was that she turned around and said people will forget what you say they'll never forget how you make them feel and it's just and I say that because I've definitely dished out my fair share of shit customer service over the years and really made some people feel horrible at times so I'm by no means a saint but I will say it is the it is that advice that constantly appears in my head the most where it like because it doesn't really matter how you shake your drink as long as you shake it like with like the right amount of gusto and it, like there's so many other things that don't matter like what people come back for is the person and they yeah. come back for the experience that person provides mm -hmm. and all the rest of it and, and like it's the reason that somebody as like just like dead set charming as Masa Urushido could just work in any bar under the sun and everyone would be like that bar's fucking awesome yep. and like the drinks could suck and like the yep. interior could be completely non-existent it could be in an alley on milk crates and Masa would still make it a one-of-a-kind experience <laughs> because really it, it, it like and it comes back to that and so I think, like, for my, myself, other than just put your head up, um, which is yeah. the other, like, yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's, like, 
like what you say, all the rest of it, people aren't going to latch onto that. But like, do you offer that customer service where instead of like standing up while they're sitting down, you just grab a seat next to them and chat to them because they're human like you are. Yeah. Or like if you like can see that they're on a great date, you don't interrupt them to give them the drop call on the, we created this drink because you shut the yeah, fuck yeah. up and leave them alone. Read like the, room. the best experience you can give them is to just stay the hell away right now. <laughs> so like do that kind yeah. of thing. And so, yeah, for myself, I think it, that is people will forget what they what you say but they'll never forget how you make them feel love it yeah love it great piece of advice there um penultimate question mm -hmm. if you could only visit one last bar in your life <laughs> what would it be my god um i need some terms here have i been there before uh, you, not necessarily. You don't Ooh, have to have been. Oh, nice, great. But it must be in existence right now. We're nope. not time traveling. No, nope. we're time traveling. It as can well. it can be any that has ever oh, existed, great, whether in print yeah, or in real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to go into the multi universe concept. <laughs> consider if it exists somewhere else or anything like that. Here's another thing that no one ever asks. Uh -huh. When it says, you know, you can only visit one last one. Mm. There's no time limit on how you're there for either. Oh, nice. This could be purgatory. See, that's a fair point because I still stand by the fact that corner pubs in England and across Britain, really, are the best place to hide out in a zombie apocalypse situation. Like, whenever anyone's like, where would you go? I'm always like, like, Shaun of the Dead, Exa brilliant they, movie. They really cut it, I was oh, going to say. God, God, such a great movie. But anyway... If it's a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to a corner pub in Britain because mm. they've got cellars and they've got the best defense and all mm. the rest of it. Um, but the last one that I could drink at, knowing that I don't have to leave as well, that's really great. Um, I mean, for me, you know, and this might like... Whatever the bar is, I'm much more concerned with who else with, is in it for mm. me. Like the last bar I ever go to to have a drink, I just want to be able to pull up at the bar and sit next to my absolute like nearest and dearest and share one or 20 last ones with them mm. and something like that. If I got to choose what the bar that was that we're all going to meet at, it would probably be either the pot still in Glasgow or the bow bar in Edinburgh that mm -hmm. I consider to be like two of the best boozers in the world that I've ever been to. Nice. Um, Delilah's in Chicago definitely mm. gets a incredibly strong honorable mention. Um, uh, mm. But yeah, I think for me it would, it would mm. be a whiskey bar, but much, much more importantly for me, it would be knowing that I have like my nearest Near and dearest to share a drink with mm. while I do it. Yeah. Nice use of the word boozer as well, by the <laughs> way, there. You don't get a lot of that on this show. One of my no. favorite synonyms there for the pub, and going down a, the boozer. Yeah, synonym for a pub, but also you have pubs and you have boozers. They're, 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 not, they're, they're not, not quite the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is like, there's something really specific about it that I was like, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what it is, and I hope we never really define it versus just turn around and knowing it's a feeling club. yeah exactly when like something's a boozer and something's a pub yeah. yeah 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 look that one up if you're not familiar yeah but don't ruin it for yeah. us, yeah. please. <laughs> last question here today if you knew that the next cocktail you drank mm. was going to be your last oh. what would you order or make cognac based french 75 yeah yeah absolutely no question about it um uh, it's my favorite cocktail um, it really is um, to go for, but you get the added benefit of an entire bottle of champagne that's just been opened <laughs> that you get to drink as well. That's good. Yeah, yeah, Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever anyone, like, even like... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is now telling like Kelsey and I used to always when we got invited to do like bartending events or whatever we'd always put a champagne drink on the menu and then in the spec sheet inflate the amount of champagne that we put in the cocktail <laughs> so that it was just extra oh, champagne to drink on shift <laughs> brilliant brilliant these, like, are the, these are the these are the tricks of the trade yeah, here that yeah, the, the yeah. younger bartenders listening need to learn yeah if you like if you don't get a rider you just turn around and say that you're putting 120 mils of champagne in your drink when you're only putting 90 and you've got to make 200 serves and then all of a sudden you're sitting on three extra bottles of booze that you can <laughs> spray on people or drink or put in your bag and take home. There's so many things you can do with the it. The mental arithmetic there and the speed of it tells me this is something you have considerable yeah, experience indeed. in. indeed. Not first, second or third radio kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ian. It's been a blast. Thanks, Tim. I really enjoyed this. This was great. Yeah, It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and I like to think that we have done justice to the Whiskey Highball in terms of how amazing, how dialed in it can be, but also don't take it too seriously and enjoy enjoy how fun it can be as a Absolutely. drink. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's alcohol in a glass at the end of the day. You're meant to have fun with it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, then. Let's go down the boozer. Nice. Cheers, Tim. Cheers. Okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at Vinepair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. Here's a Japanese whiskey that needs no introduction, listener. Please do allow me the privilege. It's Suntory Whiskey Toki. And while you're no doubt familiar with this product, I've got some fun facts to make us all a little bit more acquainted. Toki means time in Japanese. And that's certainly a fitting name for a whiskey, because while everyone knows that this spirit is the product of grains, yeast, and water, we cannot ignore maturation time, the all-important fourth, final ingredient. Another neat fact for you, Toki was developed specifically for mixing cocktails, which makes it perfect for everything we discuss on this show. A harmonious and silky blended whiskey Toki brings subtle spice and sweetness to your cocktails. Once again, for you all in the back, that name is Suntory Whiskey Toki. Try today in a Toki Highball, a deceptively complex sipper, and one whose preparation should be treated as an art form. Please drink responsibly. Suntory Whiskey Toki is a registered trademark with 43% alcohol by volume. Copyright. 2022, Beam Suntory Import Company, Chicago, Illinois.